Hey, welcome to Common Ground Church Bloberg. We are so delighted that you've joined us. We're a church committed to filling our hearts and our world with the life of Jesus. We do this by pursuing His presence, by being formed into His image, and then by loving the world on the mission He's called us to. Hey, if you've got any further questions about who we are or what we're up to, why don't you check out our website at cgbloberg.co.za. Enjoy the message. We trust it'll serve you in your journey of finding and following Jesus. Um, Firstly, I'll be reading from Genesis 1, verse 28 to 29. 27 to 28. Um, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then I'll be reading from Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. And Jesus, and Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, name of the, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Uh, well done. Um, greetings from Common Ground Sea Point. I just wanted to point us out on the map. We are over here. Um, Behind the bush, I mean, you guys are big into your fauna and flora, but we uh, look, look at you across the bay, and um, the last time I was with you, you were actually a common ground table view, and the venue was sort of flat, and you know, um, sort of felt like a tennis match trying to look across from side to side, and it's just been fantastic to see God growing you and impacting a new suburb um, of Bloberg. Nick and Roch, thanks for the invitation. Privileged to um, be with you guys. These guys have traveled quite often out to Seapoint. They were with a bunch of church planters, I think the last time they were in the suburb. Um, and in the early days when, when Seapoint was getting started, Roger and Nikki were the couple that had done it the most recently and kind of came and just shared all the stories of, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. And what we really appreciated about them was when they discussed described the, the grandiose plans that fell flat, because often you just hear all the wins, and you feel like the loser who isn't getting there, but these guys were just very gracious and said, hey, we tried some stuff, it didn't work, how are we going, and, and they really are a gift to the wider body, so thank you guys for the contribution you've made to us in Seapoint, and uh, every time you look behind the bush, you'll remember the deposit you've made. Um, I'm getting to speak about God and work, and as you know, whenever you want to talk about something, you Google it. So here we go. Here's the Google image for God and work, and what happens is there's autocomplete. In other words, this is what most South Africans look for when they look for God and work. They want some quotes. You know, I've done this. You print it out. You put it on your laptop, and it motivates you for an hour or two. God and working out. That was an interesting one. Obviously, people... Wanting to know if it's biblical, it is, okay? Take care of your body. It's the one God gave you. God and hard work quotes. This comes up again. Hard work. You know, maybe there's some lazy people, you know, like, I'm going to give them some God and hard work quotes. Often when we think of God and work, we think, okay, here comes hard work. And then the final one, God's work clothing, which was an interesting one. I don't know if those are some pastors wondering what to wear. Um, <laughs> I'm also aware, as Roger pointed out, that speaking about God and work in November in Cape Town is incredibly challenging. Let me 
let you in if you're new to the, the culture of Cape Townians. We decided a long time ago that December and half of January pretty much need to go into November as well. That's just the deal we made. You will love December and the first half of January, so don't worry. You know, happiness is coming, but right now it's not, it's not so nice. Uh, I want you to lean in, though, and stick with me because the decisions made in this month actually are quite monumental, and we're going to live into them in 2024. Things like budgets, things like calendars, uh, decisions that are getting made. At the peak of our exhaustion, we're kind of having to cast our minds forward, and you kind of, if you're not paying attention, can start living a life next year that isn't perhaps as thoughtful and non-anxious as you would like. It's a period of time where you can be very reactive and whole area of garden work about, and also to provide some hope. I really, uh, I want to help you, is what I'm trying to say. Um, maybe you're sitting there and quite justifiably you're a guest, you're going, great, I'm coming to listen to a pastor talk about work. What is he going to like, give me tips on what coffees to order during the day? He works one day a week, like how does this all work? I mean, I've heard it all, guys. I used to be a lecturer at the Graduate School of Business, and, and that was kind of what I did, and I used to be involved in ministry with these guys in Rondebosch. And... Um, and I, when stepping into ministry five years ago, I thought my years of lecturing would come to an end, but it actually hasn't been the case. I'm still involved, but apparently there's a, there's a lack of accounting slash finance people who are prepared to teach. Most of them are out there making money in the world, and so I still have this little niche of like coming in and, and explaining the basics of what happens in the world of finance. And what I, what I appreciate about that is I can be in a room with CEOs from around Africa uh, who, are, who are trying to understand uh, what's happening in the world post-COVID and have this big debate. And then I can also on a Sunday be with people who are involved in business. Perhaps they're looking for work. That's their work at the moment. Perhaps they're students. Uh, perhaps they're business owners or employees at a whole range. And I can sit in these two contexts and I can bounce between them and I can actually realize that there's huge commonality between them. We're all searching for meaning. We're all searching for purpose. We're all searching for our one and only lives to count. One of the tragedies of South Africa's high unemployment rate is that if we think of good ideas in 30 years' time, we can't rush back and say, oh, we've got good ideas. Now you can pour your life into this. No, those 30 years have, have slipped through our fingers as a nation. You see, if you've got gold reserves in the ground, you can wait 30 years and then go dig them up when the price is right. But when it comes to your people, when it comes to image bearers, unfortunately, every day that ticks by without us understanding work and not being able to give it, whether it's paid or unpaid, is a lost opportunity, and I, I've got a deep desire, in whatever way I can, to stir us up as image bearers, male and female, made in the image of God, to not just make our lives count as if this is some project self, no, to, to help our, our brothers and sisters and our neighbors and nations. So we're going to leave Google, and we're going to get stuck into God's word, and uh, three points as always. Uh, God is, work is God's idea. It's not devil's idea. It's hard, and it's worship. So, Caitlin read for us from uh, Genesis, and I will pop that up on the screen. Work is God's idea. Incredibly, God created man in his own image. Up until that time, a lot of what happened in the world was people went around and would make God in their image. They would kind of think of a God, and they would have statues, and they would have medallions, and they would put these gods up. And wherever you walked into new territory, you'd look and say, oh, there's, that, that's obviously the God they believe in. But the God of the Bible did something different. He said, no, I'm going to make male and female in my image. And instead of looking at statues and posters, you're going to look at them. You're going to look at their lives. And they're going to communicate what it means to live in the, the God of the universe's creation. That's what he did. He, he, he 
he gave us his image, which is an incredible gift. I don't know how many of you were around in the 1990s. I was, I was, and I was an impressionable teenager, and there was a guy, Andre Agassi. I want to put Andre Agassi's photo up for you. It's from an advert. Um, maybe it hasn't been downloaded. That's fine. I'll, I'll, I'll relate it to you. He was a tennis player. There was Pete Sampras, who's old school, you know, traditional, and Andre was like punk rocker, take my shirt off, and he did an advert where it said, image is everything. Image is everything. doesn't matter if I win the match. It's just as long as I look good. He got a lot of abuse for it from Canon. But that message has seeped into all of us. What image am I portraying? When I'm working, have I got a job that gives me a good image? Here's the bottom line as we read scripture. You don't need an image. You have an image. You don't need an image. You have an image. You have the image of God. And not only that, he blesses. He blesses us. His heart towards us is blessing. We can anticipate his presence, the abundant life. You can anticipate creating dots or connecting dots that no one else has, uh, an ability to, to find solutions, to have energy, to have unique gifts, an image bearer that's been blessed. And then he sends us out in what theologians call the cultural mandate. You'll see some words here, be fruitful and multiply. That doesn't just apply to families. We're often limited to that. No, it applies to our lives. You've got seeds that, that are your gifts, that are the people, the connections that you sow, and you can anticipate fruitfulness. Of course, it means you've got to work with the seasons. You've got to study what season I in, what's right to do in autumn is not the same as in summer. You've got to learn wisdom. Fruitfulness involves some weeding, taking, taking some things out as well as putting some things in. But then we can anticipate multiplication. Ten times, hundred times. You know, the, the big, big in the tech world to talk about scaling things. Well, God was into scaling things a long time ago. Be fruitful, be multipliers. Think of ways in which what you can do in your family doesn't just stop with you, but goes out to other families and other cultures. We're told to be fruitful, we're told to multiply, we're told to fill the world. If you've ever had something inside your heart saying, there's got to be more to this, how can, we, how can we grow? If there's something of that in your heart, that's because God placed it in you. He's called you to fill the world. Don't hold back. Go on the adventure. There was a conductor, Benjamin Zander, who once was he's got like a motivational speaker kind of guy, and he jumped into a taxi, and the taxi was like, where do you want to go? He said, I want to go everywhere. They need me everywhere. That was kind of like his line. And I kind of went, okay, unconventional, but he's got the mandate. Like, I, I'm, I'm, wherever I go, that, I, want to, I want to be fully there, and I want to make an impact. I want to fill it out. And then finally, he does also say we're going to need to subdue some things. There are going to be some things that, that come against in opposition that, 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 that we're going to have to identify and, and subdue. There's going to be resistance. None of us who've ever dreamed a big dream and sat down at our desk on a Monday morning and have always just been carried along on the wings of angels. There's going to be some moments we just go, oh, often don't get defeated by enemies as much as we just get defeated by our own discouragement and disillusionment. We take our eyes off the purpose. Tim Keller, who I'll quote once, um, but whose ideas really uh, inform a lot of what I'm saying, said this when it came to the definition of work. It is rearranging the raw material of God's creation in such a way that it helps the world in general and people in particular thrive and flourish. What is work? It's taking the raw materials of God's creation, weaving them together in a way that helps the world and in particular people flourish. If we don't clean up after ourselves, the buildup of debris starts to attract insects. Insects start to attract rodents. Rodents bring a whole bunch of disease, and we die. The next time you clean something, you're preventing death. Okay. 
I hate to, I hate to bring back a COVID flashback, but that, you know, this, is, this is what that's about. Seemingly menial jobs, which we don't really regard as you know, statuesque in society, are actually incredibly important. Musicians, that we just heard, take the raw materials of different notes and different instruments, weave them together to create an experience that lifts our souls. How many of you in those last few minutes of the gym class get that banging tune and you're like, I can do it, right? Because the beat is right and I can feel it. And a moment earlier, you were about to die, but some musician has lifted you to heights. It's incredible, right? It's, a, it's an incredible thought to go through work and how am I weaving together what God's created to create flourishing for others? That's what he's made us for. And just a shocker here, work doesn't just stop when we die. It is a forever thing. For those of you anticipating Cloud City, one day when you die, harps, people looking like little babies, um, it's not going to happen. Nowhere in the Bible does it say we go to heaven. It says Jesus and heaven come down as we have a new physical world where we partner forever with God to create and do culture, but without sin, without disease, and without all the thorns and thistles we face at the moment. So if you're the type of person that goes, I don't work to, I mean, I work to live. I don't live to work. And you're the first person to play, you know, thank God it's Friday, day, Saturday, you know, that one. And, 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 and you just, you just like, I can't, I hate work. Well, get used to it because it's God's idea. It's God's idea. But having said all of that, I do want to be honest and say work is hard. Work is hard. I've painted a really cool picture, but the reality is work is hard. Often when I was lecturing at UCT, I'd always say, like, guys, there's work, and then there's group work. Yeah, I mean, we've all been there, right? The dude that hands it in last minute, the person you've got to rewrite. You're like, work would be fine if it wasn't for people. There are thorns and thistles to our reality. And you go and read Genesis. We don't have time to do it, but you'll notice that at the heart of a creation where heaven and earth overlapped, there was a rebellion. There was a group of people very much like you and I, even better than us, but yet they believed a lie, as we do still today, that God is, God is God, but God isn't good. God can't actually be trusted. He's holding out on us. And so whilst I'm, I'm kind of appreciative that I'm created, I have to take things into my own hands when it comes to looking out for myself. I have to make things happen. You see, the identity which God has given me as an image bearer, I'm not sure about it. I, I need to just go and take care of some things on my own. An identity that I receive isn't really what I want. I want an identity that I've achieved. And so when a world tells me image is everything, I'm out to go get my own image. The sadness, of course, is that anything you receive from God doesn't actually need improvement. And so it's a lie, but we believe that lie. Heaven and earth separate at that point. We cast out of God's presence. Our rebellion has the effect of us wandering out on our own, all trying to receive our own identities, all trying to get the right image, and then, quite frankly, competing within ourselves, with each other, and with God for what should be at the top of the list. I often joked with my university students saying, first year, it's all about the party. You know, you come out of school, you're like, party. Second year, like, oh my gosh, I put on a lot of weight, partying. It's the year of fitness, brew. And you get stuck into that. Year number three comes, oh my gosh, people are going for job interviews. I better get my academics straight. And then, oh my gosh, I'm about to graduate. Have I found my husband or, or wife yet? You know, like it's, it's this panic stations of four years of your life where you toggle between party life, fitness, body you know, money, relationships, which is pretty much what you do for the rest of your life, just in different increments. 
It's exhausting and the work behind the work then becomes so much more because we're looking for our identities. Can you relate to any of these things that I've experienced in my life? Work that that's hard, but that's incredibly exciting. I mean, you're up in Joburg, you're flying around, you're chatting to decision makers. I was, as periods of my life, I was involved in investment banking in Africa, doing projects, Dangati and pipelines and just like oil in, in Mozambique and these investment bankers are making these deals. I'm going, this is incredible. And then it's like little voice calls to the family. Hey, how's it? How's it? I'm sorry I'm not home. I thought it would be easy to say no to long hours, but it was incredibly hard because it was so exciting. So what's my other option? Go home and be like, oh, here we are, crawling on the floor while the world is changing. And I'm in the room with you, little one. <laughs> or how about a great job that's really meaningful, but the pay is not that great? Or a really grueling job, but the pay is wonderful and it feels like I've got golden handcuffs. What about um, kind of a expectation that when people meet me at a dinner party, they're going to want to hear something impressive, like, what do you do? And you've got to, you've got to come up with something that kind of keeps their attention. Otherwise, they're going to be like, well, oh, okay, I'm going to move on, you know? Atlantic Seaboard, you meet some interesting people. This isn't in my notes, but the one guy I found out as a pastor, and he got quite cagey about his job, and I kept pushing him, no, bro, what do you do? Come, let's chat. And he goes, have you ever heard of Sexpo? He's like, oh, that's my, that's my thing. I do that and Cannabis Expo and all this. I was the first past he met and he was the first Sexpo guy I ever met. <laughs> but it comes up quite quickly and it's used as a measurement thing. And, it's, and, it's, and it's, it's something, especially if you do a lot of unpaid work, especially if you're looking after kids, it can be quite a thorn in your flesh going like, man, it's hard to say I'm, I'm, I'm looking to a role where I don't get paid and where I'm, where I'm pouring my life out with very little performance feedbacks. The only performance feedbacks I get are generally negative around how the food tastes and why I can't watch my iPad. The bottom line is we can get stuck. We can get stuck in a world that's telling us work has to do all the heavy lifting in our identity. Image is everything and your work is your image. I often joke to my students, you're studying to be a CA, you're studying to be an actuary. No one questions you. Everyone just stands and goes, whoa, well done. But if you want to study drama, everyone's like, why are you doing that? What's going on? You're like, justify yourself. All these drama kids are like, ah, I'm so passionate about drama. They really have to own it. And it's just how we're wired. Some of us are doing quite well in work. At this point, you're like, okay, Paul, can you, I know that's the losers, right? I'm doing well. I'm making it happen. Can you give me some tips? Give me the GSB stuff. This is working for me. I'm flourishing. I want some hacks. I, I, I'm, I'm, I just, I'm not quite where I want to be. It's just a little bit more. That's the danger here. When we put all our weight on work, there's always a comparison in which there's just a little bit more required. I would say we need to look to Jesus. We need to look to Jesus. And this is what Jesus says with his last words. Caitlin read it. Let's read them again. Speaking to his apprentices, your last words matter, right? And this is what he says to them. We've been rebels. Jesus has come. And he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, make disciples of some nations, no, all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So into this confusion of hard work, manual labor, um, the stress of the Roman Empire, all that's happening geopolitically, Jesus gives the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And if it sounds familiar and has echoes of what Genesis had, it's, it's, there's a reason for that. Full, multiply. Instead, you have words like go, make, teach. And with the incredible promise 
that like in the garden, God's presence and his authority are with us, are with us. But I want to quote from a book um, called God Shines Forth, because I think we need to be a little bit honest at this moment. In a world where work is hard, it can feel like Jesus is now making it harder. He's like, oh, don't forget God while, you, while you're busy doing your thing. Don't forget to, to, to represent God as an image bearer. And that can weigh on us. And so I think this book and the quotes that follow will help us. Hames and Rees say the following, let's get it out in the open right at the beginning. Doesn't something about mission and evangelism just feel off to you? Every Christian knows we're meant to share the gospel, look for opportunities to witness to Christ, yet almost all of us find it a genuine struggle, if not a gloomy discouragement. The vital final thing Jesus left his followers to do, the Great Commission, seems to be the one thing about the Christian life that, quite frankly, doesn't feel so great. It's a little bit of honesty juice flowing through their veins, right? Can anyone identify with a statement? Or was it just us and Seapoint that struggle? As Bloberg sorted. I'll read on. He says, if we believe that God is simply out to impose himself on the world and suck air dry of glory and praise, then we will never love and want to share him. If God seems to us a demanding taskmaster, we will never be his eager ambassadors in the world. Picture this, this kind of giant mosquito moving around, just trying to suck glory out of everything. You're like, oh, this is exhausting. We're all exhausted. Now there's someone who, who wants to get all the attention. Our final quote from them say, if we feel ourselves conned into having to perform evangelism, we will never warm to the calling he has set before us. Unless we honestly find God to be beautiful and enjoyable, we'll have nothing worth saying to the people around us. If you find yourself today going, Paul, I can identify all that stuff. Work's exhausting. I don't know how to affect a garden. I don't know how in the busyness of anything happening to, to kind of do it all. First thing to recognize is that's where I am at. That's the reality. Just don't hide from that. that there's a book written of people that feel the same way. I've identified with that at different times. And can I say that part of why we, we find it hard is that work is often relentlessly about ourselves. It's about providing for ourselves. It's about getting ahead. It's about, it's about just trying to figure out in the chaos of the wounds that we've had inflicted against us and the lessons we've learned, the lies we've believed, we are just fighting for survival right now. And to now kind of have this extra God guilt layer put on us is, is overwhelming. If we've lost sight of God, if God isn't beautiful or enjoyable, we're just going to be as exhausted as everyone else in Cape Town except we'll squeak out, come to church as well. <laughs> we're like, no, it's cool. I'm actually going to be on the beach recovering from the other six days of the week. We're like, oh, lucky you. <laughs> there are powerful temptations that can replace God in our lives. Temptations like I am what I do. I am what I do. And so if my performance is slipping, I've got to keep doing and doing and doing. Second temptation, I, I am what I have. I am what I have. My possessions are not quite up to everyone else. I just need that one extra thing. Then I'll make it. Temptation number three, I am what others think. I am what others think. And quite frankly, I haven't quite qualified yet. I haven't quite got the job yet. I'm not as good as so-and-so. There's all temptations of performance, possessions, and popularity. Can I tell you, that's what makes work hard. That's the work behind the work. That's why we're as exhausted. But now I'm adding an extra God guilt layer to all of it. And we're going, I can't do it, man. I can't do it. Good news is that, yes, work is hard, but work is worship. 
Work is worship. There is something available to us. And this is, this is what the revolutionary thing Jesus introduced as he, as he came and met with people. He, he introduced the kingdom of God. It's the thing he spoke about more than anything else. Heaven and earth combined. Jesus isn't going to come one day to restart the kingdom. He's like, oh, it didn't quite work. I'm going to have to come back. Jesus brought the kingdom. It's available. All authority in heaven and earth. His presence is available. Work is not something we're doing to get performance or popularity or possessions. It's something we get to do with God to create human flourishing. It's an invitation to us. Back to, back to God shines forth. Until we see him aright, we'll have no genuine desire to fill the world with the knowledge of our God. This is an invitation to start again at the beginning with your vision of God. Instead of a giant mosquito that's trying to suck glory from everyone else, God in his overflowing love and goodness is pouring himself out to people, not just to you, but to all his image bearers. He wants to connect us to purpose and meaning and himself, and he wants all spheres of our society, and we can identify them pretty quickly by surfing a few websites, to be changed into more and more like his kingdom. Let's read on in the book, and this is my aim today, and I'm sure it's the aim of the leadership team and everyone here who serves and pours out their life in Bloberg. Our aim is to set before your eyes God as he truly is. God who's so full of life and goodness that he loves to be known, not as a campaign to impose himself on us or on the world, but to give himself and share his own life with the world. That's who God is. He's, he's not sucking up. He's pouring forth. And if we get this, Jesus says our lives will become like springs of living water that feed others. And people should look around and go like, wow. Now, don't fake it. Don't be like, okay, pretend to be joyful. I'm saying see him, receive from him, and give your life away. Give your life away. The best example I could think of is imagine that you didn't stay up till 11 o'clock at night for three consecutive Saturdays and, and, and witnessed victories by one point, one point, and what was the last one? Yes, one point. Imagine you didn't do that at all, and you had a neighbor in Cape Town, and it was a Friday, and that neighbor was dressed in Boca gear and was just like, whoa, and they were going to go off, and they were going to go watch the Boca, and you just were clueless. Imagine finding out later about the whole thing and be like, dude, why didn't you tell me? <laughs> like, what was going on? I have some photos here, which I thought I'd just share you, with you. There's Faf. Ladies, please avert your eyes. Now, here's the deal. You might say to the neighbor, well, I didn't know either. You might say to the neighbor, well, I wasn't that sure about it. Like, I didn't know if you'd be into it. Like, I, you know, you can, you can have all kinds of doubts, but here's the problem. The correction isn't improve your neighbor technique and how do you talk to your neighbor about the Springboks and invite them to Springbok Alpha and, you know, the, here's the deal. Get really excited about the Springboks. See what's happened on your behalf that has, quite frankly, meant for four years we can just walk around with our shoulders back as Africans. We can travel through international airports, bumping into any other country and going, hey, we beat you. The bottom line is the deficit is not in all the technique things and the values there. The deficit is in our enjoyment of an event that has occurred. Next photo. Have a look at all these Cape Tonians just pouring themselves out and just celebrating. Jesus Christ had a revolutionary message and he himself was the revolutionary. Either he lived the life we should have lived, died on our behalf and is resurrected, 
or he isn't. If you're a guest here today, there is news that gets declared and the news is all about Jesus Christ. And quite frankly, if he died and it's all a fake and it's a hoax and he never came back, then all of what we do is to be pitied. It's, it's powerless. It's all of Jesus that, that we sing, that we talk, that we have a hope. Our faith is in Jesus, not in church or even in one another as good as community is. It's, it's he that we've placed as the head of the church and it's in him that we look. And either this changes everything and we gather like this regularly and we celebrate and we go, because of this, life is different or not. That's the basis for everything. And what Jesus said, interestingly, is for my kingdom to come, it requires you to align with my kingdom. And how you do that is not by going through some archery drills and proving yourself. Now, how you align with my kingdom is you surrender your kingdom and you enter my kingdom. You confess bankruptcy on your kingdom and you go, I'm not trying to chase popularity possessions and I'm, I'm, I'm aligning with you, Jesus. You're my representative. Just as Adam fell and rebellion entered the world, Jesus, you now represent me as the true and better Adam and I, I'm aligning with you and I'm following you. I want to be with you, become like you and do what you would do as you guys have there. It's all about the good news of Jesus Christ. That's at the center and I'm aligning now with you. And Jesus in another place said to us, hey, are you weary? Are you tired? Are you a Cape Tonian in November? It's like, yes. He said, come to me and I will give you not a mattress, but a yoke, uh, an instrument of work. I'm, I'm tying you to me and I'm getting you going with the great adventure of not waiting for heaven to come again, but of building my kingdom with me. Take my yoke upon me. He has things for us to do. In light of what he's done, he has things for us to do. Ephesians 2.10 says that he's prepared good works in advance for us to do. Not good works that we have to prove ourselves with, good works that he's prepared for us to do. When we return to God, when we align with Jesus, we're restored to purpose, to his kingdom coming. And work, although still with challenge and hard, becomes worship. Practically, I'm sure there's some people in this room that have learned how to work well, don't be shy in life group to share the lessons you've learned, to help one another. Great books are available, great things that have helped you be someone who doesn't go, oh, sorry guys, this isn't spiritual. No, it's, it is our mandate to go and fill the earth and to make disciples. Are you teaching what you're learning? Are you serving others beyond yourself and your family? Think of those stories of like old stonemasons, you know, and they're like chipping at the rock. And the first one's like, I'm just, making, I'm just making rocks so I can get bread on my table. And the next one's like chipping at the rock. It's like, what are you doing? It's like, no, I'm learning from the master craftsman how to make rock. Okay, not bad. The third one's like, what are you doing with your rock? It's like, I am building a cathedral. You just know at different stages of our lives, there's just, there's just pure, I've got to just get bread. Other times like, well, I'm learning some stuff. Other times it's like, I'm getting the bigger picture. It's been restored to me. And it's not Project Self, guys. It's just a glorious thing that, especially in our country, what a thing to give our lives to, creating employment, dealing with that unemployment I spoke about, getting people purpose and life. It's image bearers want to contribute in a paid or an unpaid way. There's incredible stories of the Puritans in England that saw the pubs and the alehouses and said, we've got to do something about it. Instead of like having placards and going, no to alcohol, no to alcohol, they said, I know what will compete. And they started hot chocolate bars. Like, come have hot chocolate instead. It's like a sensible option. I like it. Cadbury's. That's where Cadbury's came out from. And at those hot chocolate bars, some guys got together and they were chatting in hot chocolate. They said, you know, my ship sank. I've lost everything. The other guy said, well, geez, I'm sorry about that. And they said, hey, I've also got ships. I've also got ships. And they said, why don't we start taking 
uh, fractional ownership of each other's ship so that if one of them sinks, you'll get compensated by my ship that didn't sink. This is how Lloyd's of London got started. This is how the insurance sector kind of got up and running in a hot chocolate bar started by Christians. Incredible stories of societal transformation. Actuarial profession, look it up. It was a Scottish minister that was trying to work out how to save for retirement for pastors in Scotland that got the whole actuarial profession up and running, trying to work out how long is a pastor going to live for. It's like, not long, buddy. Life was hard. Life was hard for that guy. The bottom line is, and I'm not even, ju- when I saw those springboks, and I might be like patriotic green here, but when you see them praying with the Tongans, and you see the humility, and you see them acknowledging God, Peter Steph to Troy, I'm not, I'm, these guys are people, I'm sure there's other stuff, but there's just a culture there that said, we're going to put God at the center, and we're going to follow his kingdom, and the kingdom's going to come. And you know, if we'd lost, hey, that still would have been the kingdom. The point is, it's, it's about putting him at the center. Uh, my final slide, which I want to put up is a... Um, well, no, no this is, let's, let's go to Pete. Let's go to Pete. This is Pete Scazzeri. He says, when I ask people, tell me about your wishes, hopes, and dreams, they're often speechless. Why do you ask, they respond. Isn't my only wish, hope, and dream supposed to be to serve Jesus? Not exactly. God never asks us to annihilate the self. We're not to become non-persons when we become Christians. The very opposite is true. God intends our deeper, truer self, which he created to blossom as we follow him. All those false images of popularity and possessions and all that stuff, that needs to die. The false self needs to die. That's the call. You know, God, you become more and I become less. We, we need our self, false selves to die. But the true self, the image bearer that God made you and the gifts he's given you and the things, the contributions that you alone can, can give with your unique fingerprints, that needs to come surging forth. That needs to be represented in this community. Otherwise, our body's not going to be fully the body that he's called us to be. And now my final slide, the redemptive edge. You know that I find in my life, I hover on the far there of, of uh, comfort. This is John Tyson out of New York, his, his graph. I love comfort. And often my biggest obstacle to this whole thing is just like, it feels uncomfortable. Do you know if you start to change, there are going to be people in your life that are going to express concern. They're going to say things like, um, hey, man, you're wrong for try- changing, and here are the reasons why. Like, don't take this God stuff too seriously. Here are the reasons why. Then if you really go for it, they're going to start cautioning you. Hey, buddy, change back soon. Otherwise, you know, we might not accept you back. If you really start going far along the graph, they're going to say, if you don't change back, here are the consequences. We are, we are not in outright criticism about what you are up to with your one and only life. You're wasting it following Jesus as, as you are. But what I'm... What I'm wanting to show is that if you go to the redemptive edge, the part of life where the kingdom happens, you're giving up comfort, but you're getting so much more. You're getting the kingdom. You're getting where Jesus used to hang out. Have a look. If you look at Jesus, he used to go to Samaria, the biggest opponents. He went to the Decapolis, which is where um, the tribes of Manasseh, which again, were huge enemies of Israel. That's where he hung out. The road to Emmaus, the disciples had left Jesus. They were like, I'm on our way out. Jesus goes and finds them there. The Great Commission, the book of Acts, which you guys have been reading through throughout church history, you see Jesus didn't hang out in the holy huddle. He went to the edge. He hung out where the kingdom was. And look at the criticism he got. He got a lot of criticism. Hey, Jesus, you're eating with sinners. Why? You're spending time with women. What are you doing with our traditions? You've got all these traditions. You're throwing them away. Why did you choose those guys and gave them the Great Commission? I mean, they're not, they're not, the, they're not the cool university lecturers, you know. I wouldn't have started with those guys, but you did. The cost of discipleship is high. People are dying. 
and the outsiders are included. Can I tell you that often in our lives, the degree of boredom we feel that then results in unwise choices and kind of just like flopping around and not, not knowing is because we haven't actually embraced this call to go to the redemptive edge, out of comfort into the pattern of Jesus doing what he would do. But don't do it on your own. Do it in community. Sacrificially serve others. Not those hot chocolate bars, whatever they look like. Reform education. Our nation is crying out for a community of people that gather and who see the kingdom come in incredible ways. We do this because this is what God did, right, in the garden. He got his fingers dirty, and out of dust, he created each and every one of us. He wove together the raw materials of creation, and he continues to weave together our broken lives, place us in a body, and to create human flourishing. At what cost did God do this? He did it at the cost of his son. Jesus Christ didn't just live a great life. He died the death we were owed. He was disintegrated so that we could be made whole. And he said, as we already referred to, it is finished so that we could get started with the kingdom. As a response, I'm going to call the band up now. And uh, can you guys stand with me? I'd love to just pray for you. And I'm going to uh, read a prayer that comes from... um, Uh, The Center for Faith and Work, they did a better job than I ever could of trying to articulate a prayer of commissioning over each and every one of you here. Um, No matter where you find yourself, whether you're looking for work, whether you're studying for work, whether you are a teacher in the school or a business owner, here's just a prayer before we come to Christ of commissioning. And this is a prayer where hopefully you can align your hearts with the idea that Work is God's idea, and it's best done when we place it in his hands. Let's pray together before we sing. Father God, we thank you that you are always present, always moving, and always faithful to your children. We praise you that the sun shines on those that know you and on those that don't, and that you will be glorified across all nations, all people, and all industries represented here in the room. We pray now for all those who work in business, all of those looking for work, all of those that work in government. We pray for all the sectors represented. Holy Spirit, move in powerful ways in these industries to create transformed hearts that are zealous to see your kingdom come and your glory reign over all the earth. We pray that you will raise up leaders who worship you, love you, desire to see your name be exalted above everything else. We pray that these leaders would see both the people within the organizations as well as those that they serve as image bearers of God. We pray that the business's first objective would be to seek the common good. We pray for the many entrepreneurs across this room who are driven by a passion to fill voids within an economy and create value for the people around them in our beautiful nation. We pray that you'll plant beautiful ideas in their their minds that will benefit your world. Use business as a means to bring about peace in situations where goods and services are so interconnected that hoarding resources by some has created a detriment to all. Create equity within the economies of the world, we pray. For those to whom you've given much, create hearts to share and do good towards those who have little. For the leaders whom you will raise up, allow them to see the world of business as an opportunity to use the resources of the earth in such a way that's sustainable and equitable towards all. Thank you, Father, that you are intimately involved with your creation. We lift up these prayers to you, knowing that you hear them. Thanks so much for joining us today. In In Common Ground Bloberg, we prize seeing information turned into revelation. 
In other words, a deep heart understanding of what we've heard. Why don't you take a moment now to just prayerfully consider what information have you heard that you're trusting God to take deep into your heart and turn into revelation that'll shape your life. Have a fantastic day.